0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our latest sermon. We don't take for granted that you take time to listen, and we do our best to bring you valuable content each week. If you find this sermon particularly helpful, we would really appreciate it if you would do us a favor. If you listen on a podcast host, it would be awesome if you would take some time and leave us a rating or review. This helps our sermons be heard by more people. It really does. It is an easy thing to do, and honestly, it could result in somebody's life being changed. Also, if your life is changed as you listen to this sermon, even just a little, we would love to know about it. You can let us know by emailing us at respond at creekside.me. One more thing, Easter is coming up fast and we would love to have you join us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We have a bunch of great things going on surrounding our celebration of Easter and you can learn about all of them by visiting creeksidebiblechurch.org slash Easter. we've all experienced things that that just don't align with our expectations, right? And I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week even, that that our dog died, that we loved, that was like our child right before our, our baby was born. And uh, there's still, even now, like it, it, this, this kind of void, this hole that it feels like life isn't what we thought it would be, what it, we expected to be with our our toddler running around, pushing our dog, and, you know, even when we picked out our dog, he was a Doberman, Rottweiler, German Shepherd mix, and we talked to a bunch of people that had those breeds, because if you were in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, those dogs were all, like, the worst, you know, I mean, they were little killers, and so we talked to a bunch of people, because we figured we'd have kids, and 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 we wanted the dog to be safe, and and still there's, like, this, this hole, and it, it's It's just not what it's supposed to be. It's not what I thought it was supposed to be anyway. And I I know that all of you, in in small or big ways, have things in your life that maybe even still, I'm not talking about things you get over. I'm talking about things that linger, things that last, where it's like this is not what I thought life would be. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. And oftentimes, if we're being honest, if somebody could get us alone and, uh, and we could take down the mask and maybe even then we wouldn't share this, but somewhere deep inside of us, uh, not only are things not the way that they're supposed to be in our minds, but we blame God for them not being the way that they were supposed to be, for him not saying, not doing what we wanted him to do, for him not responding to our prayers the way that we asked him to respond to our prayers, for him not blessing us in the way that we thought he was going to bless us, for him leading us astray in our minds uh, down the wrong path or the wrong road, uh, into the wrong career, into the wrong decision, whatever. I mean, we, if we're being honest, can, can... probably all say, at least to some degree, not only am I disappointed in what life is in this area, but I'm also disappointed in God for letting life be like that in this area. I mean, there's, we have these things, I mean, you know what they are, like some people's marriages, like they get, they get a few years in, and it's like this, this is not what that was supposed to look like, and if it's, this was supposed to be different, and what happened to the movies, and uh, I've I've been told that the biggest divorce years are three, like your third year of marriage, your seventh year of marriage, which we just completed, and your 17th year of marriage, so I've been telling people, I don't even have to try in my marriage for like 10 years now, I'm like home free, but but I've been really thinking about why that is, and I'm pretty sure three is because, uh, like, it's like probably when people have kids, because, uh, you know, like they're they have kids, or their kids turn three, and that's horrible, Um, you know, or, and then 17 makes some sense, because empty nesters, and that three when the honeymoon phase kind of wears off, it's like, oh, you do things wrong, you know what I mean, if you're married, you do, and then like 17, like people become empty nesters at that point, a lot of people, you know, if you had kids before you were married, and your kids go out of the house, and then it's like, finally, we can get divorced, because they're gone, you know, and that happens, I mean, I say that kind of jokingly, but that's the real thing for a lot of people, we'll wait till the kids graduate from high school, and I I think seven, I just, I don't know what seven is, but, but I think, this is my theory, these are all just theories, I think it's like the point where you're like, this isn't what it was supposed to be, like, I, you know, I thought we could get better, we'd fix things, or we'd, you know, work that problem out, and you started to annoy me four years ago, and I thought you'd be better by now, and this isn't what it's supposed to be, and so, so I'm out. And, and, and so marriage is a big one that I see with people, like, just, this isn't what it's supposed to be, and why did God lead me to them, and why hasn't God fixed this, and how did God let this happen, and, and what is going on here, and a lot of times it's our health, right? Like, I mean, why am I sick? And why can I not get over this sickness? And why do I have cancer? Why do they have cancer? Why is God not fixing this pain that I have? And, and, and the Bible says, if I pray, it'll go away, which is not true. But, you know, we have that in our heads. If I just pray, it'll go away. And then it doesn't. And you're like, God, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you know that I'm in pain do you not care about me you know and not only are we disappointed because life is painful and we're sick and we don't feel like we know we're supposed to or we want to but also we're looking at God saying you could have done something about this or a lot of people they're they're in their careers I think this is oftentimes where a midlife crisis comes from and and it's like you're you're 15 20 years into your career and and it's like this is it I go to work every day, and I thought I was going to move up and own this place, and I had dreams when I was a 22-year-old starting at this company, and I I was going to, you know, move up the corporate ladder and make a lot of money, and now maybe you've made some of the money, but you still don't feel very satisfied, and you still want more money, and you're like, this isn't what it was supposed to be. I I had plans to change the world. I was going to travel, you know? I mean, things were going to be different than this, and now God has put me in this job, and I, you know, life didn't go the way that it was supposed to go and I had to pay those bills when I was 28. And so it it just never became what I wanted it to be and I never did the things I wanted to do and I never started the company that I was going to start. And and I'm disappointed, but I'm I'm really just angry at God because he has not led me to where I wanted to be led and he hasn't said yes to my prayers and he didn't give me that promotion and I'm annoyed and I'm bothered. I wouldn't say it out loud if I'm a church person. Uh, If you're not a church person, you would say it out loud, right? But if you're a church person, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you would think, It, or you would feel it, like this isn't what it's supposed to be, and and I think it's God's fault. I had a youth pastor who uh, had not rejected God outright, but he had rejected much of what the Bible said, uh, because he had had a son, and his son had died, and he had prayed that his son would get better, and his son did not get better, and so while he still served God in many ways... He threw out much of what God has said to us in his word because because God had not responded to his prayers in the way that he wanted to respond to his prayers. I know people who look at God, who have turned from God, not because of some change in belief or because they theologically or philosophically could no longer think of a higher power or believe in creation or line science up with this Christian thing, not because of any of those things, but because they looked around the world and they saw suffering. And in fact, they didn't look around the world, they looked really close, right up in front of them in another country, and they said, if God allows for this, then I don't want to serve God anymore. And there's that tendency, right? Even if it's smaller for you, even if you're like, I'm here at church, I haven't totally rejected God, you know, I'm here. But even if it's just a little bit like, God, you, you, you kind of do this with people, but I think we also do it with God. God, you didn't give me what I wanted in that area, and so I'm not going to give you what you want in this area. I think if we have been honest, we'd probably play that game with God. God, I'd do a little more for you if you'd do a little more for me. If you would have just met my expectations, then I would meet your expectations, but you haven't, so I won't. Let's call it a fair trade. Let's move on. I came across this article studying for this sermon. Uh, It's a study, and, and the article was called, Why Do Christians Leave the Faith?, And almost half of the writers, they they were asking people why these are people who used to claim to be Christians, used to say they were Christians, and now they don't anymore. And it's like, hey, why? What happened here? And almost half of these people expressed sentiments that in some way God had failed them by not doing what they thought he should do. Almost half of them. A young man who was Baptist, uh, he epitomized it by saying, The first time I questioned the faith was when my grandmother shriveled up in front of me for six months due to cancer. I was 13 and my mother and my father were getting a divorce. My father told me I should have been aborted. I prayed to God, but nothing fails like prayers. Wow. We felt that, right? We felt just a little bit of that maybe, but like I'm praying, they're hitting the ceiling, nothing's happening, you know, and and. Over time, you see that enough, and and God doesn't meet your expectations enough, and you have a jerky dad and a grandmother who's dying, and it's like, I don't want to live for you anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Another woman who was raised Methodist described her stepfather as cruel and abusive, and she said she could not understand why, if God loves me, why won't he protect me instead of letting this happen to me? Another man in his 40s, a former elder at a charismatic church, wrote, In my own life, no matter how much I submitted to God and prayed in faith, sin never seemed to leave me. Well, what's the point of being saved if you aren't delivered from sin? And we have that too, right? Like there are sins that you can't get over and I stand up here and I talk about how the Bible says that you have the power to overcome sin and you're like, I don't believe you. And if God said that, that doesn't seem true because I still have these things that I cannot break. I still have these addictions and these problems and I can't get over them and and I wish I could, but I can't. And so why serve God if it's not going to change anything about my life? This author who wrote uh, about this study in this article said, I am struck by how much these accounts resonate with sociological theories of human relationships, especially those coming from social exchange theory. This theory describes humans as judging the value of relationships in terms of costs and benefits. One variation of social exchange, termed equity theory, holds that people are satisfied with their relationships when they get rewards that they feel are proportional to the cost that they bear. And inequitable is unstable, and it usually occurs because a person thinks they receive too little for how much they give. And I think a lot of people have turned and rejected Jesus because they say, I have given you what you asked for, and yet my life is not what I wanted it to be, it's not what I expected it to be, it's not what you told me it would be, it's not what I thought you said it would be, it's not in line with my expectations, and so they reject Jesus. This morning, we look at a parable, a parable that Jesus tells kind of uh, preemptively, because he knows that people are going to have uh, disappointment, they're going to have expectations, they have expectations that are not going to be met by him. That's the point of this parable that we're about to look at. He's looking at a group of people and saying, you had expectations for me, about me, what I would do for you, how I would change things on your behalf. I'm not going to meet them. And so let me tell you this parable. A parable that suggests you ought to continue to live for Jesus even when he doesn't meet your expectations. Now a little background information. It's important. Um, This story comes on the heels of the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. At least that's how we sang about him when I was growing up in Sunday school. Uh, and so this, this story actually happens as Jesus is marching towards Jerusalem is kind of why we set this up for Palm Sunday next week and then Good Friday and Easter because he's headed towards Jerusalem where people will celebrate his entrance into Jerusalem. They'll chant Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna and they'll be excited about him and then just a handful of days later they'll be chanting crucify him, crucify him and they'll kill him and then after that he'll rise from the dead and so Jesus is is moving that way and he stops in this town called Jericho and he encounters this man named Zacchaeus who is famous uh, primarily because we tell this story to our kids in and, and church and because there's a song about him. And Zacchaeus was a short guy. He climbed up in a tree, wanted to see Jesus because he had heard about the fame of Jesus. He And Zacchaeus is up in this tree and he sees Jesus down below. And Jesus says, come down here, let's have a meeting. And Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus. And, and here's the trick of Zacchaeus, why he's important to the parable that we're going to look at Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and we talked about this last week, tax collectors were like the most hated people in Jewish society because they were Jews, they had sold out to the Romans who were ruling and reigning over the Jews, they were oppressing the Jewish people, they had control over the Jewish people, and the tax collectors had sold out to them, they collected taxes for the Roman people, and they took more than they were supposed to take, so they were bad. And Jesus turns around this tax collector, Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back everything I owe. He invites Jesus over and people are like, wow, if he can change the heart of a tax collector, then he must be, this is what's happening, he must be the promised one the one that we've been looking forward to. And if you go back into the Old Testament, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus shows up, God's promised that somebody is going to come who is going to make things right for people and he is going to rule and reign in the line of David, Israel's most famous king, and he will sit on his throne forever and he will create perfection for people. Now, over time, what had happened is those people didn't see that as spiritual perfection. They didn't see that as heaven. What they saw was simply somebody's going to come in here, and they're going to beat up the Romans, and they're going to sit on the Roman throne. And so when Jesus is marching towards Jerusalem, right? You can see this. He's going into Jerusalem. People are saying, he's going to start a revolution right now. And then he, he changes this tax collector's heart, and the crowds sense the energy Things are changing. Things are getting better. Even the tax collectors are coming to Jesus. This is going to be great. Jesus is going to do all that we ever dreamed he would do do. He is going to change the world. We are going to come into power. We will be able to be fruitful in this land again. I'll be able to build my house where I want to build my house. Everything's going to be great. We won't have to pay those taxes anymore. Uh, My family's going to grow up in peace and prosperity. Everything's going to be awesome. Jesus is finally here. Jesus says to them, "Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Awesome. We're going to get our way. We are going to be the generation that sees the work of God, the fulfillment of God's promises. It's going to be great. But I already gave away the story for the next couple weeks, right? Jesus marches the 17 miles. The crowd is in a frenzy. They all chant Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're pumped. And then Jesus doesn't do anything they want him to do. They kill him. Because it doesn't align with their expectations. He doesn't do what they want him to do. And Jesus knows this is coming. He knows he's going to Jerusalem to die. He said this a bunch of times to his followers. Hey, I'm going to Jerusalem to die and I'll rise again. But they don't even get it. Because they're so pumped about these expectations and what he's going to do for them. And Jesus knows this. And so Jesus tells this parable in Luke 19 11 says while they were listening to this he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once the people thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom he was going to throw out the Romans as I said they would not have to pay taxes anymore everything was going to be great and so he says, look, let me tell you a parable about your expectations and what you ought to do when they're not met. And he begins that parable in Luke 19, 12 through 15. Oh, and by the way, before I read this, uh, you may know parts of this story that I'm about to tell, but you probably know it in the Matthew version. Matthew 25 tells a very similar parable, and, and we call it the parable of the talents there oftentimes, and this is a different parable than that, and so if you think you know what the parable of the talents is about, you're probably right, but it's not that parable. This is a different parable with very similar uh, language and similar wording, but a totally different point. In Luke 19, 12 through 15, he says, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Now, this is so weird and interesting because this part of Jesus' parable is very real it actually happened to the jewish people and most of the parables we can't connect to anything real but if you just study history the history of the romans and and jews and their interaction like this quite literally takes place um rome is ruling i've said that a few times already and uh and roman people had their caesar right and and the caesar was like the the head of all the land But Romans, the way they set up their kingdom of Rome is that they would allow for people to be kings over certain areas. And so one of these kings earlier than the story we're going to look at was a guy named Herod, Herod the Great. You may have heard of him. He's responsible for the slaughtering of children in the Bible and he wanted to kill Jesus because he heard Jesus was coming as king and he didn't know exactly what that meant. I mean, this is a bad, bad dude, and and he, he grows older, and he has three children, and the plan is to split his area that he rules over, think like he rules over a region, his area into three, to give one of these areas to three of his sons, to his three sons, and the one who would be ruling in Jerusalem and in Jericho, in the area that that is called Judea, where Jesus spent most of his time, his name was Archelaus. And as soon as Herod died and Archelaus took power in Judea, just to show his power, just to say, hey, I'm in charge, he slaughtered 3,000 Jewish people. Okay, I'm in power now, don't mess with me, that's pretty much what he was saying. There was no punishment involved, there was no reason for him to do it, he just wanted them to know, I am in control, I am... I am, I have power now, you're going to follow me like you followed my dad. Now that's, that's not in the Bible, just so you know, that's like history telling us that, that's what Archelaus did, and so uh, here's the thing about those kings, they had to go to Caesar and get permission to continue to be king, to be king, and so Archelaus starts his journey to go see the Caesar, to say, hey, my dad has given me this area, I want to be king. And the Jewish people are like, wait a minute, he just killed 3,000 people. And so they send this giant group of people following behind him, 8,000 delegates, in fact. Like this is a protest, right? This is a protest before we knew how to protest. You know, like they were 8,000 people making this journey to basically go to Caesar and say, hey, Caesar, we don't want this guy to be king. We don't want him to rule over Judea. Well, that doesn't work out so well for him or for them, because show up, Caesar says, they don't like you very much, so we're not going to call you king, we're going to give you another title, and so go back, you do your thing, but we're going to call you something else, and so he never actually obtains the term king, Uh, and, and history tells us he never obtains the term king, but he's like, go back and rule over these people, and so Jesus tells Like you can feel, right? You could sense like how scared these people would be on the walk back because he's already killed three thousand. You're one of the eight thousand you followed him, and it's like I was just joking, you know? I mean, I wanted you to be king the whole time, and this is this is weird, and this is tense, and this is difficult, and and so Jesus sets up the story with something that these people knew really well: the story of Archelaus. Basically, he left. You didn't want him, but he came back as king anyway. But what we also know about this is this, this story is about Jesus and the people that he's talking to probably wouldn't have understood that but Jesus is noble by birth I mean when Jesus was born he was already king of kings and lord of lords people fell down when Jesus was still an infant and worshipped him because of who he was and what he would mean to the Jewish people and to all the world so Jesus was noble by birth But we also know that Jesus, while he lived for uh, 33-ish years, a sinless, perfect life, Jesus left. That's what we're going to celebrate here in a couple of weeks. We're going to celebrate Good Friday where Jesus died. And then Jesus died, and we know he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. We know that Jesus left. And so this story is about setting these people up for an understanding that he is leaving, and he did that through his death, resurrection, and then ascension back into heaven. But we also know that as he left, he left us with blessings. He left us with his will. We we understand who He is. He left us with His Word, uh, the Bible. He left us with His Holy Spirit. He sent back His Holy Spirit, in fact, so that we might be drawn to Jesus, so that we might know more about Jesus, so we would understand Jesus better. And He's left us with skills and talents. And the church. I love the church and what it means to our lives. And sometimes we think about it in terms of what we have to do on a Sunday morning. But God gifted us with the church, and so He leaves us with these gifts. But now he sits in heaven. And while he's always been king of kings and lord of lords, he now sits and he reigns at the right hand of God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we also know that he's coming back. The Bible's very clear on that, that Jesus is coming back and and while this king in our story goes to a far country, we know that Jesus didn't come back too quickly. It's been a couple of thousand years but we also know that he could come back at any time and we are to expect it always. So Jesus tells the story that the people would have connected to Archelaus but we can connect to him. There's expectation but he is going to leave and he's going to come back. And the rest of the story has nothing to do with Archelaus. That's just the setup. So they would be involved. They would kind of get it. The rest of the story is about what happens when Jesus returns. Now remember that, that you need to understand this is told because these people are going to be very disappointed that Jesus doesn't do things the way they wanted him to do things. And this is what he tells them about that disappointment. Luke 19, 15 through 19 Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Now, I mentioned this is similar to a parable in the story of Matthew 25, the story we read in Matthew 25. And there, when Matthew 25 is preached, and sometimes when Luke 19 is preached in the story here, uh, even though it's, it's not correct here, it's like this. Hey, look, God has gifted you in certain ways. And you ought to do your best to make a return on those gifts, to bring glory to God and to lead other people to Jesus and to serve Jesus and to produce fruit. You, you need to use all that God has equipped you with and gifted you with in order to bring Jesus a return so that when he comes back, he will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And those things are all true. Uh, but in Matthew 25, that makes some sense given the context. Here, that's not the point. Here instead, the point is that when you are disappointed, you need to remain faithful to Jesus anyway. Notice that one of these people produces a return of 10 minus with the 10 minus he received. And notice the other one produces 5 minus with the 10 minus that he received. They received the same amount, they produced different things, but Jesus, the one returning, doesn't seem to care either way. The point is not how much can you give to me, the point is not how much can you produce with the things I have gifted you with in Luke 19. The point is, have you faithfully followed me? I have left you with my word and with my spirit and with my church and with gifts, and have you faithfully followed me? what Jesus is saying is if you have, if you have, then he is going to reward you. He's going to give you five cities or ten cities. And we may not mean that or take that to be literal, that we'll now have possession of ten cities. But he's going to bless us. And he may bless us in proportion to the amount that, that he has given us. But notice that what we earn for him is not necessarily proportionate to what is given. Although we should try The point is not bring a return dollar for dollar on what I give you. The point is, look, I'm going away. I have left you with gifts and you need to be faithful to me. The point is is really this, to put it in our context. Jesus might disappoint you, but you still need to continually and faithfully serve him. Jesus may not do things the way that you want Jesus to do things, but you need to continually and faithfully serve him. And if you will, this is what he's saying here, if you will, then he is going to bless you, and this is in eternity we know, he's going to bless you in eternity. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now there's a couple of things that just stand out to me as, as I read this. First, a real Christian will produce real fruit. I mean, you're really going to accomplish some things for Jesus if you are a Christian. Your life will not look exactly like everybody else's life if you are a Christian. That's just what the Bible declares for us. It just makes so clear that your life, if it looks the same as everybody else's life, people that hate Jesus, people that don't live for Jesus, then you're not a real Christian. And this illustrates that because both of these people do something with what God has given them. And then the other thing that really stands out is that a true Christian is always going to see the gifts that we have as a blessing from God. Notice that these people don't say, look what I did. I produced so much for you. They say, your mina has earned. It's like they're not even a part of it. They don't say, we did it, and I look how well I did for you. They just say, hey, look, you gave me something, and look what it did. Look what it produced. Look what it accomplished. Look what you accomplished through me. A real Christian will, will have a different life. And a Christian must see the things that they have as the blessings of God, not just luck or happenstance. And the story continues. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Now notice first that this man's attitude is the opposite of the other two guys. Uh, He doesn't say, Your mind that has produced. He says, You're a thief. He says, You you steal things. That's what he's saying. You're a thief and you steal things and you have not worked in the way that I want you to work and you haven't done what I thought you should do and I don't like you very much. That's what he's saying. I don't like you very much. And then this character in our story, Jesus, is like, hey, wait a minute. If you knew that, then life should have been different. And here's what you need to know first. This guy isn't an actual servant of Jesus. This guy's a faker, right? This guy's like a lot of people who sit in church every Sunday all around our country, sing great songs, dress right, talk a good game. They don't actually love or live for Jesus. Because we who love and live for Jesus do not see Jesus as a thief—that's a weird thing to say, right? And I think it's just an excuse. In the end, you're facing your Maker, you're facing the King, and this guy—I mean, Jesus has blessed this guy, right? And it was so clear. But he looks at at Jesus and says, "Well, you're a stealer," and that's not even true at all. That's not true. Jesus is doing nothing. Jesus has given the guy ten minus just like he gave to the other people. He has blessed this guy with things that this guy did not deserve at all. The King did not need to give him anything, but he did. And so this guy, I think, I mean, in this story just makes this excuse. Well, you're a thief and a liar. I don't like you very much. You're not the kind of king I want to serve, and so I didn't serve you. I just buried your treasure, which, by the way, would have been offensive to a Jewish person. I just buried it, and here you go. You can have it back now. This man is not different than a lot of people whose expectations have not been met. They can look at Jesus and talk a good game. They may even show up to church every single Sunday. But they're not actively trying to serve Jesus. They're not real Christians. Let's be clear about that. A Christian is a Christ follower. Not just somebody who prayed a prayer once. Not just somebody who was born in a Christian home. Not just somebody who goes to church. It's somebody who actively and willingly follows after Jesus and does what Jesus wants them to do and seeks to bring Jesus glory and honor with their life. That's what a Christian is. That term has a ton of baggage in our world today, a ton. Christian means a lot of things. It means Republican. It means jerk. It means guy with a super nice suit who gets on TV and rips people off for their money. I mean, it means a lot of things, but a real Christian is a person who follows Jesus, who lives For Jesus and no longer for themselves. And this guy is not that, and he makes this excuse I just didn't like who you were. Even though it's not real, I thought you were a jerk, and so I didn't faithfully serve you. And there's a lot of people, both in the church, but even more out of the church, people who wouldn't call themselves Christians at all, who take this attitude. They don't have their expectations met. And so they say, I will not serve God. People say, this is like a thing that you actually hear. If God allows for suffering like that, then I will not serve him. If God is that much of a jerk and will not do what I want him to do and does not follow my ways and does not meet my expectations and allows for hurting and suffering and allows for there to be orphans and and allows for people to die of hunger and allows for there to be natural disasters, if that's who God is, then I will not serve him. And I understand that, but what... parable is illustrating, and what you need to hear, and this is the question that Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't say he's actually like that. He just says, if you knew this, if you really thought that I was a jerk, then then you should have served me. And I know this isn't the nicest, most churchy thing to say, but if God is a jerk that looks down from heaven and says, yeah, I'll just let those kids suffer and I'll let those people get cancer and I don't really care if they go through all that stuff. If that's God, you better serve him. If God is a jerk, if God is a hateful, vengeful, spiteful God, you better get on your knees and pray every day. That's the reality. This excuse, it's tired. It's, 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 and I love people, but it's dumb. It's a dumb excuse. It's dumb to say, that guy's so bad and so mean and can crush me. So I'm just going to be over here going, ha, not going to get me over here. <laughs> what is that? How's that, how's that going to work out in the end for you? I mean, really, how's that going to work out in the end? a guy had a gun to your head he was trying to rob you would it be a smart move to go like i don't like you very much so i'm not going to give you my wallet now this is not the god we believe in and this is not even how jesus is portraying himself he's just saying it's a question this is a question if, if that's what you thought about me then what are you doing If you really thought I was somebody who just reaped where I didn't sow and just stole, if I was a thief, if I was really a bad king, if I was really a jerk, then what are you doing? I just want to say to anybody that's making the excuse that God has not met your expectations. He has not done things your way and you don't like him for it and you're not giving him even part of your life because he hasn't done things the way that you want. Well, you ought to remember that God is more powerful than you and if he is not a good God, then you better serve him all the more. But thankfully, we do believe that he is a good God we see that in these next verses. He said, then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But it's for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Do you see what happens in this, this section right here? Jesus just pours out his grace and that's what we believe will happen in eternity. For those who believe that Jesus came to earth then died for our sins, died so that you could have all of your guilt taken away and then rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. For all who believe that and give their lives to Jesus, we believe that in the end, when Jesus returns or when we die, he will pour out his grace upon us and that's exactly what this says. We who already have the kingdom of God, we who already have experienced the joy and the forgiveness and the love of God because God is not a bad God. God is a beautiful, wonderful, good God. We who have already experienced it, we are going to be blessed even more. And the people standing by, they can't understand it because grace, God's grace, never really makes sense. I mean, how could God have given me eternal life, it doesn't add up, how can God die for me, it doesn't add up, when I look at the sins that I have committed, but even more, the sins that I do commit, and the things that I do wrong, and the things that I do that, that I don't want any of you to know about, and the things that I think that are detestable, when I think about all that, for Jesus to go, I'll die for you, and not only will I die for you, but I will gift you, and not only will I gift you, but if you will use those gifts for me, if you will place your faith in me, then when you get to heaven, I'll give you even more, It's kind of ridiculous. It's like, what? In Revelation, there's this scene that's described in heaven where where these people get crowns for glory because they've served Jesus. Isn't that weird, right? Like Jesus gave us the minus. Jesus gave us his life and he gave us our new lives and he's the one that has given us forgiveness and love and all that. But in heaven, there's this heavenly scene and, and these people get crowns. Doesn't make sense, but their response when they see how much Jesus has done for them and how much grace has been bestowed upon them is they throw their crowns down at the feet of Jesus because they understand that he deserves the glory. If God is bad, you should serve him, but God is good. And so you should serve him. Because if you will, if you will give your life to him and live your life for him, then grace will be poured out on you in ways that, that we can't even imagine, that go beyond our understanding, that can be illustrated by five cities or 10 cities. And what's that like? I take Wilsonville. I can't even afford a house in this city. I take the whole city. You know, that'd be great. I mean, that's that's incredible. And and then he he even goes a step further because there were people that really, really didn't like that he wasn't meeting their expectations. Luke 19, 27. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. These are the religious leaders at the time. They wanted a Messiah, a Christ, a, a, a king who would be just like they had taught he would be like that would follow all of their rules and do everything that they wanted. That's pretty much what they wanted Jesus to be. Uh, a, a puppet for them that would give them what they wanted and do what they wanted and would line up and, and, and get behind everything that they had said and make them look good and raise them up in their place and, and, and tell all the other people how wonderful and great they are. And Jesus never met those expectations at all. And so not only did they choose not to follow Jesus, they, choose, they chose to be active enemies of his. Propelling the people to chant "Crucify him, crucify him." Moments before he was nailed to a cross. And Jesus says, "When I come back, the punishment will be real. It'll be very, very real." And I don't want to be a liar. I find lots of liars in churches. Lots of liars that call themselves pastors. They will tell you nice little things and make you feel good about yourself. And if you're a Christian, you should leave here today feeling great about yourself. If you're not, then you shouldn't, because hell is real and people will go there. That's the reality. I'm not this guy that wants to make you scared all the time. I think most of the time in the New Testament when the Bible talks about reasons to accept Jesus, it's it's good, nice things, love and forgiveness and all those things. But sometimes it's important to remember that we could meet our maker, our king at any time. And if we're not followers of Jesus, then it's going to be bad. Every day, there are 6,775 deaths in our country. And 2,600 of them are what people label, what sociologists label, unexpected deaths. 2,600 times today, people will expect to be alive through the day, to go to bed tonight, and to wake up tomorrow, and then they will be dead. And they will stand before their king. And it could be you. I mean, 2,600 people didn't expect it. It could be you. And the question becomes what category in the story do you fall into? Are you one of the false? who pretends to know Jesus, who acts like they love Jesus, who goes to church every week to look good or because it's tradition or because it's a part of your your family's you know, history or I don't know, there's a lot of reasons to be in church because you like people and there's friends here and we have a you know a nice church and so you show up because you want to hang out with people, uh, but you don't really serve Jesus. I mean, when you go to work and when you hang out with your family and when you do your life, it doesn't look any different than the rest of the people on this planet who don't claim to love Jesus or know Jesus. Are are you one of those? Are you a foe? Are you an enemy of Jesus? Are you actively opposing Jesus because he hasn't met your expectations? Or are you faithful? And there's only one positive outcome here. There's only one. And it's to faithfully serve Jesus, to be a Christian, to be a real Christian. And I'm telling you this. God is good, but he doesn't have to meet your expectations. He doesn't have to do what you want him to do. And it would still be really, really smart of you to faithfully serve him. God doesn't owe you a thing but he has blessed you with much. And if you will give your life to him, he will bless you with even more. And so I ask that you make a decision to faithfully, faithfully, faithfully serve Jesus no matter how he has disappointed you. No matter how he has not done what you want him to do, I ask, I hope that all of you will faithfully serve Jesus. Let me pray for you, Lord. I know there's a bunch of people in front of me who do faithfully serve you. And God, I pray that this would be encouraging to them, that they would be excited, thinking about how someday they will be blessed with even more. But also know, God, that there are a bunch of people um, that are fakers, God. Man, our country is just filled with this, this cheap, grace that's not real, it's not biblical, people who uh, think that <coughs> they can just say some prayer and, and it's their insurance to get in heaven, but you don't demonstrate that for us at all, Lord. So I pray for anybody who even, especially, God, for people who think they're following you, but they're not real followers of yours, people like you describe in Matthew 7, Lord, where you'll say, away from me, I never knew you. If there's people like that listening, God, I pray, that, that you would bring them into a real relationship with you. And, and then, God, uh, I pray for people who are your enemies. And I, I believe a lot of people are your enemies because you have disappointed them, God, right or wrong, you have disappointed them. And uh, they're not rejecting you because they don't believe in you. In fact, they're rejecting you, I think, a lot of times because they do believe in you. Uh, and you let them down. And I pray, God, that they would give their lives to you because I don't want a single person who ever hears one of my sermons to go to hell. Lord, you know I'm thinking of real life people that don't know you. And I pray that they'd give their lives to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.